If you have your Bibles with you, I hope you do. Let's open to Mark, continuing in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Mallory, would you do me a big favor? If you would get me a bottle of water, please. Thank you. Okay, Mark chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, you should see a blue one in the pew back in front of you. Uh, we'd love for you to open that one up with us. Mark is in the New Testament. That means it's towards the back of the Bible. Uh, it's the second book of the New Testament. Um, it is the Gospel according to Mark. The good news of Jesus Christ according to Mark. If you need a Bible, take that blue one home with you. Uh, believers, if you know someone who needs a Bible, please take that blue one and give that to them. We'd love to be part of that. Okay. Mark. We're going to be Mark chapter 1, big number 1. And we're actually going to retread some of, the, some of the verses that we did last week. All of them, really. We're going to start Mark, big number 1, little number 1. But we'll, we'll read that in a moment. Um, do you think that you could name the top grossing movies of all time? You think you could name those? I went through and I looked at those. Um, I bet you could. I bet, I, bet, I bet you could name them. Uh, but they are all the top 25. Just about every single one of these movies is a superhero movie, a Star War, a Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Jurassic Park, and then throw in one movie called Titanic. Blech, right? Ugh. Uh, and then sprinkle in a James Bond or two. And that's, that's like the top grossing movies. That made the most money. Those movies made more money than any of us could ever imagine. I mean, it, they were just spectacular successes. And it seems like every time a new superhero movie comes out, that one shoots to the top. We love those kinds of movies. Let me tell you what those kinds of movies are. We love movies that show a world very different than the one that we live in. We love movies where people can be superheroes. We even like movies where dinosaurs come back to life and eat everybody. Right? We'd prefer that to our normal world, everyday life. What does this say about us as people? You don't make it in the top 25 by showing a movie about me mowing my lawn, taking the trash out, driving to work, fixing a flat tire, you're not going to crack the top 25 with that. We're not so interested in normal, everyday life. We like movies that are about a world that is new. We like movies that are about a world that is bigger. And we like movies that are about a world that is better. And I think, I love those kind of movies. I think it reveals something about our heart and about my heart. Thank you, my dear. That we are not content. There's a little part of us, or maybe a big part of us, that are, we're not content with the world that we have now. We like superheroes, we like Jedi, we like wizards, we like dinosaurs, we like all these things that, that don't belong in our normal world because they're newer and bigger and better. We're drawn with the desire for our world to be better than it is and bigger than it is and newer than it is. 
and a new and bigger and better world has come. And we can see it in the baptism of Jesus. Let me show you what I mean. Let's read together. We're going to read. We're going to tread over. It's important for us to start back at the beginning where we were last week, but it's important. So we're going to start. We're going to read 11 verses together. Mark chapter 1, big number 1. Okay, the first word, big number 1, verse 1. We're going to read through verse 11. It goes like this. The beginning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make His paths straight. And John appeared. Fulfilling that prophecy from Isaiah. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to Him and were being baptized by Him in the River Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was kind of weird. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Remember last week? Who unties sandals from dirty, stinky feet? Slaves. Remember last week, the Bible says that John was the greatest man born of woman who ever lived. Only one person walked this earth better than John, and that's Jesus Christ. Only one person. And John himself was not worthy to be the slave of Jesus. Verse 8, John says, I have baptized you with water, but he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And now let's get some new verses in. In those days... In the days where all of this was happening, everybody's coming out to be baptized by John. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven you are my beloved son with you i am well pleased with you i am well pleased okay before we can take a look at this new world that has just unfolded before us in those first 11 verses we see an entire new world that is more fantastic and bigger and larger than any of those 25, top 25 movies. This new world is phenomenal and it's just unfolded before us. And before we do that, we need to unpack something. We need to be very careful. Again, we talked about last week, but again, we see a picture of who God is. God is a trinity. It's the name of our church for a reason. It's a very, very, very important 
belief for Christians. This means, Trinity means, God is one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If you're going to get Christianity wrong, if you're going to go in another direction, if you're going to go and, 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 and become a heretic, someone who is outside the Christian faith, you're going to get the Trinity wrong. That's one of the number one ways you can leave the Christian faith. The Trinity. God is one God, three persons. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. And the Spirit is not the Father nor the Son. However, the Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Are you with me? There was never a time when God didn't exist. And there's never a time when God did not exist as three persons who are distinct of the Trinity. And the Trinity has distinct roles. And we're going to see that play out here. The Father sends the Son and the Spirit. The Son sends the Spirit. The Son does the will of the Father, and the Spirit does the will of the Father and the Son. And why do we unpack this? Why do we unpack like this? The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is not a force, not Star Wars. The force be with you. The Holy Spirit is a person. If we don't get that, we miss the whole entire part of Mark that we're going to go over. And so what we have, first and foremost, out of the gate, when we have the baptism of Jesus, we have a display of the distinct persons of the Trinity and the work of the Trinity. Such an important passage in that regard. So, we have a display of the Trinity because we have the Son of God in the water. Who is distinct from the Holy Spirit God who is descending on Him as a dove. And those two are distinct from the voice coming from heaven from the Father. And we see the Father is pleased in the Son because the Son is being obedient to the Father. Are you with me? Okay. Okay. If you're with me there, then the question is, why is the Father so pleased with the Son? You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. He's just taking a dip in the water. Why is it, what's it such a big deal? He's just getting wet. And I looked up the Jordan River on Google, Google Earth, right? You know how you could zoom in and like be there? The Jordan River is kind of the puny river. It's kind of why my parents named me Jordan, right? It's kind of a puny, no-nothing river, yeah? Don't be nodding your head over there. I saw you. We're going to talk after this. Why, why is he so well-pleased? Well, why all the fanfare? 
Well, of course, of course, of course, it's not just a dip in water. In fact, Jesus' baptism sets the stage for a whole new, bigger, better world for those who love him. I'm going to talk about three ways that these short verses unveil the better world that Jesus brings. The first thing that we see in Jesus' baptism is that Jesus brings a whole new world when he stands in the place of sinners. John the Baptist was baptizing people for repentance of their sins. Did Jesus have any sins? It's not a trick question, I promise. Did Jesus sin? No, he had no sins. In fact, he is the only person, only human being to ever live, to ever walk the earth, who did not need to repent, who had no sins he needed to turn away from. He did not need forgiveness. He has no sins to confess. He has no need to be forgiven. He has ne- Think about this. He has never lied. He has never lusted. He has never abused. He has never had a bad thought run through his brain. That's a totally different person than me. How can that be? How can that be? How can a human being walk the earth and never sin? Well, Jesus is not just a human being, is he? He is fully human and fully God. You see why the Trinity is so important that we unpack that? Jesus Christ is the second person of the Trinity. He is God. The second person of the Trinity took on flesh. He became fully God and fully man. And it is totally impossible for God to sin. How did this man walk the earth without ever having a bad thought, a lustful thought, an unrighteously angry thought? How in the world is that possible? It was because Jesus was God. He is God. He walked the planet as God. I had a professor tell us this way. You know, Jesus, we know that Jesus was tempted like us without sin. It's impossible for Jesus to have sinned. He said it this way. Jesus, indeed, was under attack from all outward temptations of the world. But the attacks were like sticks beating on the side of a Sherman tank. They're not going to make a difference. That's Jesus. That's Jesus' righteousness. And John the Baptist knew Jesus didn't need to be baptized. We hear him say, the man who comes after me, I'm not going to be fit to be his slave. That means this man is so holy. He's so much holier than the holiest person among us that we're not worthy to be his slave and, and touch his stinky feet. In Matthew's account of the baptism, he adds, he adds another detail to the conversation that was happening Matthew 3 says it this way, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And Matthew says, John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? But Jesus answered him, 
Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he was baptized. So, the second person of the Trinity, God in flesh, never sinned, would never, not even imaginable that he could sin, have no, in no way has rebelled against the Father, is totally obedient to the Father, totally pure, totally good, never a negative thought in his, never a bad thought in his mind. And he is baptized. So why baptism? In his baptism, Jesus, the perfect Son of God, second person of the Trinity, creator and sustainer of life, Jesus, in his baptism, was identifying with a rebellious, sinful people who need repentance, redemption, and forgiveness. In Jesus' baptism, he creates a whole new world because the Son of God comes, and as he is baptized, he says, these are my people. He says, I am one of them. He says, I am without sin, but I will be taking their sin. In his baptism, Jesus was covered in undeserved water, just as he will be covered in undeserved blood. You see, Jesus doesn't just take our place on the cross. He does. But he took our place in baptism. Because he knew his ministry was going to involve sinners like you and sinners like me who would be in need of repentance. And so the point is this. Just as Jesus will stand in our place on the cross, taking the wrath of God on our behalf, in his baptism, Jesus stands in our place, declaring his connection with a people in need of repentance. Jesus didn't need to be covered in water to be right with God. But he took it anyway for our good. Jesus didn't need to be covered in blood to be right with God. But he took it anyway for our good. And this changed the world. It's a whole new world. God the Son became one of us. And not just to show us the way. Not just to act... To, to show us how good people act and how righteous people act, to show us how much we need a Savior, how much we fall short. Not just to do that, but to become one of us. The scandal of the Son of God taking the place of sinners who need to be baptized. Unbelievable. It's a whole new world. It's a whole new world. This is a new world because it means our sins are washed away if we are in Jesus Christ. This means if we are in Jesus, he has taken our place in repentance, 
He has been with us in repentance. Although he needed to repent from nothing, he takes our place. And this means that we can be separated from our sins as far as the east is from the west, says the psalmist. So the natural question for you and for me is, have you been baptized? Baptism doesn't save you. We're saved by faith and trust in Jesus and what he did. Have you been baptized? If you're a follower of Jesus, have you followed him in baptism? Have you joined him in the water? Let's take a step even further from that. Have you repented? Baptism is a symbol of repentance of sin. Have you repented and believed so that Jesus will wash your sins away? Jesus brings a whole new world when he stands in the place of sinners and this pleases the Father. Jesus brings a whole new world because he carries sinners to God. I want you to notice one word here. Let's read verse 10 together. I want you to notice one word here. And when he came up out of the water, immediately... He saw the heavens being torn open. That's the word we want to focus on. He saw the heavens being torn open. We see this word, we see this Greek phrase somewhere else in the book of Mark, torn. Where do we see that? Anybody want to get an extra credit today? What else is torn? The veil. That's curtain. Y'all are smart. We see the phrase torn, the same phrasing, and we will see it at the cross of Christ. Maybe you're here today, you're, maybe you're not a church person, you don't know, torn, all these smarty pants, you know, said something. What does that mean? Well, this is how, this is how it worked. Before Jesus, this is how it worked. Um, God dwelled in the temple in Jerusalem, okay? He dwelled Remember that word too, dwell. We're going to come back to that later. God dwelled in the temple. They knew that God was everywhere, but if you came to an Israelite in Jerusalem, you said, where is God? He would be able to say, well, God is everywhere. And he'd also say, and he's there in the temple. He was in a particular part of the temple. He was in what was called the most holy place. That's where God's presence was located. In the most holy place. God was on His throne. And that's where His presence would dwell. But, because of our sinfulness, are you going to come enter into the presence of God? No. Because of our sinfulness, we couldn't get anywhere near God. If we did enter into the presence of God in our sinfulness, we would die. In our sinfulness, to enter into the holy presence of God would be like a mosquito flying into the sun. Poof. That's how holy God is. And if you think that's a bit harsh, you haven't yet grasped how wicked our hearts can be. And you haven't quite grasped how holy our God is truly is. 
And so for other reasons too, but to keep us alive, this is how it worked. Holy of holies, presence of God, throne of God in the temple. Surrounding the temple was a big wall. Okay, you go do your, you do, do your business outside, you come to worship. As you enter into the temple, there's another wall. The women and the Gentiles could only get so far into the temple. They can be in the outer court. You're separated. If you're an Israelite man, you could take one step forward and be in the inter- inner court where the sacrifices were made. That's as close as you can get to God. Now, if you were a priest, you could enter into the inner workings of the temple. But that's as far as you could get. And even the priests, who are supposed to be the holiest among us, as they turn and they look at where the presence of God is, there is this curtain that separates the inner workings with the most holy place. And that curtain was big and it was tall and it was thick. And only once a year, the high priest, who was supposed to be the holiest among us, was allowed by God to enter into the holy of holies, the most holy place. And the high priest could do this by tying a rope around his leg and bells to his clothes. And the priest would listen. And if they heard jingling, they'd think everything was okay. If the jingling stopped, they'd realize he had unconfessed sin in his life. And he died in the presence of the Lord. And they'd take that rope and they'd pull him out. This is how we are separated from God. But when Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus died and he paid the penalty for the sins of all who repent and believe, that separation between us and God was gone. The blood of Jesus on the cross covers all of our sin. And to symbolize that and to shout it from the rooftops and to show it to all who believe, Mark will write this with a loud cry. Jesus on the cross breathed his last and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Not bottom to top, from top to bottom, signifying that heaven has torn open the holy of holies, the most holy place that we can now enter into the presence of God. Because the blood of Christ. The sins of believers have been paid for, wiped clean, surgically removed. God's justice and wrath has been satisfied on the cross and therefore the temple curtain has been torn in two. But it didn't just happen on the cross. In his baptism, as Jesus is baptized, taking the place, standing in the place of those who must repent, Jesus comes up and what does he see? He sees the very heavens being torn open. Just as the curtain of the temple will be torn open when he dies on the cross. Hebrews 10 says it this way. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, 
by the new and living way, by the new world that he has opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus brings a new world because he brings sinners to God. Christian, you can enter into God's presence boldly through the blood of Christ, not your own actions. You, my friend, are not going to be good enough to enter into the presence of God. Not through you being good enough, not through you being a nice person, not through going to the right church, not through being in the right family, only through the blood of Christ. Christian, this pleases God. It pleases God that a pathway has been opened, that a new world is here, and, and heaven has been torn open so that Christ can bring you into the presence of God. This pleases Him. This is the plan of the Father. This is the plan of the Father that sinners like me can enter into his presence. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. God wants me to be with him. God wants you to be with him. He wants to hear from you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to guide you. He wants to direct you. He wants you in his presence. And he wants it so badly that he sent his son to die on the cross. Do you talk with God? Do you take advantage of this gift of heaven being torn open? Christian, do you take advantage of the powerful blood of Christ that has covered every one of your sins? Do you take advantage of that to boldly enter into God's presence? Or has the evil one, the enemy, has he been chatting to you saying, you're not worthy, you're not good enough? Father wants you to boldly enter, in, enter into his presence. And of course, we need to ask the question, will you enter into heaven at all? Don't play games. Do you think you're going to be good enough? If you could be good enough, Jesus wouldn't have come. Don't play games. It's either Jesus or nothing. He's the only way. Like we said at the beginning, are you laboring? to try to be good enough? Are you working to try to be good enough? Can't do it. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden. I will give you rest. How does he give us rest? Because he did all the work to bring us to God, to tear the heavens open, to tear the curtain down. Non-Christian, you cannot enter into God's presence boldly because you are still in your sin. Your sin has not been paid for by the blood of Jesus. Your sin still clings to you. But Christ calls you, turn from that sin, repent, and believe. 
Jesus brings a whole new world by standing in the place of sinners. Jesus brings a whole new world by carrying sinners to God through the heavens that have been torn open. And Jesus brings a whole new world because he brings God to sinners. John says, I baptize you with water, but the one who is coming, who is mightier than I, will baptize you with who? The Holy Spirit. And as we see Jesus come up, his heavens are torn, signifying that we can be in the presence of God. Those who repent and believe in Jesus have been covered as we enter the presence of God. And we see God the Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove. Jesus brings a whole new world because he brings God to sinners. God the Spirit comes, putting those two verses together. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove, signifying the ministry of Jesus, sending God the Spirit to dwell in believers has begun. There's that word again, dwell. As Jesus is baptized, the shape of the Spirit is a dove. The Spirit is not a dove. God the Spirit is not a dove. So why a dove? Why a dove? There's not a verse that says this is why the Spirit was a dove, but this is what we think is happening there. This is what we think, why we think the Spirit chose to show Himself as a dove. The dove is a callback to the last time a dove took center stage. Anybody else want, you want some more extra credit? When did a dove take center stage? Way, way back. Ark. You all ate your Wheaties this morning. Got a second cup of coffee, I think. Good job. That's right. The dove is a callback to the flood, to Noah's flood, after the flood, to see if the water had subsided, to see if there was dry land. Noah sent a dove. And when the dove brought back an olive leaf, Noah knew that dry land had returned. That's the callback. Why? The connections are massive. In the flood story, sin covered the entire earth. God sent the flood because the thoughts and desires of humanity were towards evil all the time. I know we complain about the world now and the world's going down the tubes, all that stuff. Think about that world where evil was on the hearts and minds of humanity at all times. That's a wicked place. To cleanse the world from this incredible wickedness, God sent the waters. And when the earth was baptized, a dove showed Noah that there's a new world cleansed of sin. Isn't that unbelievable? Now that first dove revealed a world free from sin that would sin again. But the second dove, the better dove, signifies a new world is coming and sin will truly be washed away. Not from some washing of the outside of the body, but a washing of the inside Evil and sin will not yet be washed away from the entire face of the earth, but the hearts of those who believe 
will be washed clean of sin. And this is the new world. Jesus is sending God the Spirit to dwell in the hearts of believers like God's presence dwelled in the temple. It's a new flood. Instead of a flood being water, this is a flood of the Spirit. We baptize you with the Spirit. This is the old world. The old world is before Christ. We were dead in our sins and transgressions. We are haters of God, says the word. We are quick to shed blood. We are chasing the desires of our heart. None of us seek God, says Romans. And our heart was the world in which Noah lived. But the new world means God is in our hearts. Jesus baptized. Heaven was torn open so that Jesus can carry us into the presence of God. And not only that, we see the Spirit descending like a dove, signifying there's a new world coming. So the question, of course, is, are you living in this new world? My friends, if God dwells in you, that will bring a change. Are you with me? That will bring a change. If this new world begins in my heart and in your heart, what are the signs that I'm in this new world? If there is a new world available in us through the work of Christ and the indwelling of God, the Holy Spirit, living in us, when we are filled with God, the Holy Spirit, we will be different. Think about the gift of this. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will be in us and will teach us to obey. Teach us to obey. The Holy Spirit will be in us and will give us power to witness to the world that Christ is King. You ever wonder how our missionaries overseas or believers overseas can, can, can go to their graves proclaiming that Jesus is Lord? You ever wonder how, how that can happen? Because they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells us and renews our heart of stone. That means this heart that used to be all bitterness begins to forgive. And this heart that used to be all pride begins to start seeing others as better than we are. You ever feel that? You feel that? Christian, you feel that tension? You know that feeling. Man, I was grumpy yesterday. You ever have grumpy days? Oh, man. And, you know, I've got two beautiful young girls who do what two beautiful young girls do. And a grumpy dad and two rambunctious girls. That's a tough situation for a grumpy dad. And I remember twice yesterday having to come to my little girls. And you know that feeling, right? You're like the Holy Spirit's telling you, boy, you know, you, you, were, you were a little too extra grumpy to them. 
You need to go repent. Oh, I was right, though. Well, you might have been right, but the way you know that feeling, that tension in there. I had to go to my two beautiful little girls and ask for their forgiveness twice yesterday. How in the world does that happen? Well, I, I believe and I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit was within me, disciplining me, saying, hey, grumpy, grumpy Gus, come on. You're two cute girls. It's time to repent. When the Holy Spirit indwells us, that heart of stone begins to soften. Holy Spirit indwells in us and glorifies Christ. The Holy Spirit indwells in us and promises to illuminate the Word of God. Do you read it enough for the Holy Spirit to be able to illuminate and show you what God's really saying? The Holy Spirit in us helps us worship. Helps us worship, propels us to to greater worship. We talk about music and we talk about all these things and churches have fought over style of music, all these things fought for decades over this stuff. And the truth of Scripture is when the Holy Spirit's within you, He will help you worship under any condition. They threw Paul in jail. What does he do? He worships. How? Filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit begins to give us victory over sinful desires. And the Holy Spirit produces the character of Christ in us. Now, does this happen overnight? No. It might be I have to repent twice to my daughters yesterday and maybe once today, right? And that's a big step forward. Maybe that's how it works. Because we've got this in us that wants to fight that Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God, we want to we take it back. There's part of us that there's this, this tumultuous nature within us. But God says that it'll be two steps forward, one step back. Two steps forward, one step back. Three steps back, one step forward. There'll be this working in us, producing the character of Christ in us. Galatians 5, 23, if you want to know what will start happening to you with the Holy Spirit within you, it says the fruit of the Spirit is this. What the Holy Spirit produces in us is this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Are we moving in that direction? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Are you living in this new world that Christ has brought to us? Christian, are you taking advantage of this gift that you have been given of the creator and sustainer of the universe, the spirit of the living God dwelling in you like God dwelled in the temple? Do you believe that? Do you own that? Do you love that? Does that empower you to good works? Does that empower you to greater love? Does that empower you to repentance? Does that empower you to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? And maybe you're here today and you're not a believer and you say, love, joy, all that stuff. I feel like I'm a nice person. I feel like I'm going to be nice enough to get to heaven. Is that where you are? 
If that's where you are, I pray that this sermon has shown you that none of us are good enough to earn salvation. That the only way to heaven was Jesus tearing a hole right in it to carry us there. The only way for you to be in the presence of God is if you're covered by the blood of Jesus. Maybe you're thinking, boy, preacher, but you don't know the things that I've done, the things that I've thought, the people that I've hurt. I do because I see them in my own life. The blood of Jesus is powerful enough to cover every sin and to carry every sinner into the presence of God. So, we're going to sing a song together in a moment. Two things. If you're a believer, during this song, I'd like you to thank God for the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life. Thank Him that Jesus brought you to be indwelled by the Spirit of God, and that He is your seal for eternity, and that He is willing to produce in you the character of Christ, one step at a time. And if you're here today, you're not a believer. Don't play games with God. Don't play games. Don't think you can earn it. You're nice enough. You're not. Don't play games. This church is going to call you during this song. We want to call you to repent and believe. This is what this looks like. Just as baptism signifies dying to an old life, being raised to new. Have you died to your sinful life? Have you died to your sin? And are you alive in Christ? The Bible seems to say it this way. Have you divorced sin and have you married Christ? If not, we're going to call you today. Repent and believe. Christ has made a way.